Thank you. Bless you. Welcome. Yeah, I, uh, I've been going to church all week long. Some of you don't realize that, but we left at, immediately after church last Sunday. It almost seems like I was in church and I'm back in church again. <laughs> we drove from here directly to Toronto uh, for our annual Partners in Harvest uh, uh, convention and uh, started Monday afternoon. And the only way, only way they do church up there is 12 hours a day. I'm telling you, this is, I, I looked at one pastor. I said, man, they know how to do church here. He said, yeah, if it's not long enough, they make it longer. <laughs> so, um, but it was excellent. A lot of good teaching, good impartation. Got connected with uh, uh, a lot of good friends and met a lot of new, new folks. And Partners is growing a whole network of churches, over 250 churches in Indonesia just joined uh, partners and uh, the whole leadership team from there. And Indonesia is the most Muslim nation on planet Earth. And so now we have a, not just a few churches, but a, a, a whole new network of 250 churches plus other churches that were joined. It was, it was quite exciting, <coughs> but it's good to be back. All right. Um, one thing I want to do before we jump into the word is just pray for the election, which is coming up. Uh, it's very important, and certainly this series is meant to kind of inform and, and bring a biblical perspective about the importance of being in, living in community and, and being a citizen. But uh, um, you know, this is this prayer guide is available. But would you join me with uh, in prayer, just as we pray for our nation? Father, we thank you that your grace has been uh, poured out on this nation ever since its founding. Uh, Lord, and that uh, even though we have certainly not always represented you well, uh, you have been gracious to bless us in so many ways. And Lord, we thank you for the blessing that we have a, a part. Each one of us individually can influence our government through voting and other means. And that the national vote is coming up in just a few days. And so, Lord, we pray that you would influence this election. Lord, we pray that you would sovereignly move upon the masses of people that go and actually vote. And that um, through your sovereign intervention, um, the best candidate, uh, not only for the president, but for all of the offices, all the way down to the local level. Lord, we ask that your will would be done. And that the people elected would represent you uh, and your purposes. We believe you are the hope for our nation. Lord, not a particular party, but you. Yeah. And Father, so we pray that you would influence and, um, and we pray that uh, this nation would be preserved and prosper and become uh, uh, and continue and become even more a place that uh, exists to uh, uh, see that religion uh, be free and people be free to, to believe what uh, they choose to believe. And have the freedom to live that without hindrance of, of government, uh, Father. And all the different concerns that are in place as well. Lord, that you would stand up for those who are defenseless. Those who are powerless. Father, that you would defend the weak uh, as is your name. Lord, things are too complex for us to truly understand. We have opinions and ideas. But we have faith and trust that you understand. And that you know truly what would be best in this difficult uh, time. And so we again appeal to you to influence our vote. 
and everyone's goal so that the right people get in the right position for your purpose. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Keep praying. Get informed. Uh, we have uh, links on our website to help you get informed about the different um, issues that are at stake in this election. I've uh, been talking about what does it mean to live in community <clears throat> and how we can express kingdom values, kingdom of God values in a fragmented and divided uh, society that we live in. Talked about Jesus' counterculture message the first week and, and how to live Christ-like in the midst of evil in the second week. Last week I talked about community means responsibility. And this week I'm going to talk about citizenship uh, means accountability. Citizenship means accountability. So I want to talk a little bit about accountability, but let's have some pictures. So <clears throat> speaking of accountability, does anybody know who that is? Huh? Bernie Madoff. Pop star? Huh? Banker. Famous for? Stealing $180 billion. $180 billion. Can you think about that for a minute? Oh, my word. What did he do with it? I just want to. What do you want? Don't you want to grab him by the neck? Hit <laughs> him. <laughs> Accountability. Oh, you think this guy should be held accountable? He and others like him. But he's he's the poster child of it. Should be held accountable. So they put him in jail for 150 years, but he's 75. I bet the jail cell isn't that uncomfortable. How about somebody else? Next picture. I didn't see that, but he just got keyed. His car got keyed. You know, when somebody keys your car because you parked too close to theirs or scratches scratches your car. <clears throat> Ever have that happen to you? <clears throat> a dent in my car. Came out. There was a dent in the car. Asked my wife, how'd the dent get in the car? I don't know. <laughs> Asked my kids, how'd the dent get in the car? I, it didn't happen while I was driving it. <laughs> it miraculously appeared. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't make you happy, does it? No. So, the person needs to be held accountable. <laughs> how about the next one? Next week. Huh? <laughs> Child needs to be held accountable. <laughs> Especially if it was the last cookie in the jar that was mine. Are you going to be held accountable for that? So we, we all know the idea of accountability as a concept. <clears throat> As you put up the next slide, it's an obligation or willingness to accept responsibility. Or what I like is focusing on mostly is to account for one's actions. And there's a difference. Talked about responsibility last week, and then we talked about accountability. And there's a bit of a difference, almost like two sides of a coin, and that that you have to account for your actions, and an understanding that each and every individual must account for their actions, understanding who we're accountable to, when we're accountable, uh, and why. And it's this idea of accountability is easy. To understand when it applies to someone else. All right? 
it's, it's a little more confusing when it applies to you and defining your own accountability. Uh, when the offense is something we'd never uh, think of doing, you know, like Ernie, that Madoff guy, I mean, I couldn't steal a billion dollars. I wouldn't even know how to start. I don't even know where a billion dollars is. <laughs> how did he find that much money to steal, right? <laughs> so I'm like, I can get all upset about his sin because it has nothing to do with me or mine. And that's, that's not what we're talking about here is understanding uh, our own. And it's easy to understand uh, accountability when we're the victim. But we want to understand that we each need to embrace where, when, and to whom we are, are accountable. That needs to be foremost on our mind. And that's what it means to live in a community. That's what it means. It's a very important part of being a citizen of a community is understanding where, when, and to whom you are accountable. Right? Our acts, our words, and even our ideas have an effect on others, and we are accountable for that effect, right? Um, think about this for a minute. Your actions, it's pretty easy to understand and accept that actions, uh, you, you're accountable for your actions, but your words have effect on others, and you're accountable for that effect. You're not only accountable for the word that you say, you are accountable for the effect that those words create or cause. And then the ideas in your mind. I read a book once. It was a very influential book years ago. The subtitle of it was Ideas Have Consequences. Ideas have consequences. One, because all acts start with an idea. But, you know, so this one guy had this idea that, hey, let's, let's get rid of private ownership and let's have, have all property and in, in, in commerce actually corporately owned by the population of the whole state and so that it evens out for everyone. Everyone gets a job. Everyone gets a, a share of, of all the profits. Boy, wouldn't that be a great idea? What idea is that? <laughs> Communism or socialism. Actually the same concept. <coughs> how, how did that communism idea work? Work out? Yeah, it failed. Seventy years later, <laughs> Soviet Union, completely disastrous. China pulled a fast one. They said, well, we're still communists, but we're not going to practice it. <laughs> we're going to have a free market communism. <laughs> so they kind of snuck around it. <coughs> um, and, we, you know, our country is founded on an idea, isn't it? Yeah. It was the great experiment. Let's have government for, by, and of the people. Let's have the whole population of at least eventually the whole population didn't start out that way, actually choose who their leaders are rather than a class of people or one you know, family of people, not a king, but whoever. Anybody can have the option or the opportunity, if they're good enough, if they excel, to become the leader. That's an idea that was implemented to change the world. But listen, you know, your ideas have a fact among others, the ideas that go through your brain affect people around you, affect your community, affect your workplace. Do you believe that? Believe it's that. absolutely true. And often if you can change your idea, you'll change your behaviors 
And even your emotions can be changed simply by changing your, the way you think. That's why repentance is a change of mind. That's where it starts with. <clears throat> so, we're accountable. Again, we're talking about a community and citizenship for the things that we think, act, and say. And that is, um, you know, there are, there are sins of commission and there are sins of omission. All right? Uh, so, uh, a, have you ever, anybody heard of that, those, those terms before? So, a sin of commission is something, you know, you commit. And so, if I were to sneak up and steal some of my wife's pot, it doesn't look good at the moment, you know? I committed a wrong, that wasn't wrong, because we, we share, so. So, if I took Julie's purse. <laughs> If I stole something, that's a sin of commission. But what's a sin of omission? Not doing something you ought to. That's a great ex- definition. But what is an example? What's that? Not reporting me. There you go. That's a good one. <laughs> what first service say? Ah, not doing something you're supposed to. So sins of omission... In other words, not doing something you're supposed to affects your community. You say, well, I don't steal. I don't kill. Well, that's good. (laughs) I ain't going to get you to heaven, but what you don't do. It's like there's so many other layers that we are accountable for. And you're, as a member of this community, you you have you are account, the community holds you accountable. God holds you accountable. Your acts influence others. Understanding this enables us to live that accountability, meeting the needs of the poor, defending those who are uh, defenseless, feeding the hungry. Uh, these are things that you know. Who else is going to do them? And you know, again, I'm 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 not representing one party or the other. Certainly, or one one uh, leaning or the other. But you know. Okay, if if who feeds the poor? Who cares for people who, uh, because of disability or injury or circumstances, can get employment? Who is responsible for that? Well, they're personally responsible. The guys are crippled. There are no jobs. There's no way to make money. Person never graduated from high school. Well, it's their own fault then. Well, it's because of the life, the the community is in. Nobody made it through high school. You know, it's easy to just flippantly say it's somebody that's their responsibility. But actually, some of these things are community responsibility. We are accountable for others when we live in community. We are. We need to have personal responsibility, but we need to accept community responsibility. And we're accountable for that and find ways. Now, both parties and, and, and different uh, uh, ideologies have different answers. They're really all trying to solve the same problems. They just have different means, and some are better than others. And in and, and the election, you get to choose which, which one you think, which solution you think would work better. But it's not just during the election. These are things, if we really want to change communities, rather than just voice our own political opinions, we need to be actively involved, you know, every day, not just in every year, not just during the election. 
by not sinning sins of commissions and also not sinning sins of omission and neglecting to do the good that God calls us to do. Galatians 6-7 is often uh, understood to be uh, applied personally, but think of it corporately or in the community. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he sows to his flesh, will, reap, will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And so there's an accountability before God that based on what we do or don't do, there will be consequences. We will have consequences uh, individually and personally, but also there are consequences corporately and in a community. One of the things to understand, we have to under, we have to kind of do a little history lesson, more of a sociology lesson, <clears throat> to understand where we are as a nation, as a, as a people. It doesn't just affect our nation, it affects the whole world. This is going to kind of review um, a, a dynamic that's influenced our world and influenced every one of us sitting in this room significantly and how it applies, and I'm going to tie it into how it applies to the kingdom of God. And it's a, it's a seismic shift in our culture. <clears throat> you know what seismic means? Everybody goes, well, earthquakes. Yeah, it's, a, it's an earthquake, right? There's been an earthquake in the culture where the, the earth itself moves, right? Yeah, the, every, the thing that everything is built on has shifted to the degree that what was built has broken down. And, you know, when this happens literally in an earthquake, go to Haiti. You can still go to Haiti, and there's buildings that are just piled because they just boom, fell. And we've, we've sent teams down to Haiti frequently, and, and you know how they're removing the debris to this day? By hand. Because this is, there's no heavy equipment down there. And, and, and so the whole part of the city, boom, fell down. So there's a seismic shift. And let me explain what the shift has been. It actually started, um, uh, the one I'm particularly talking about and the, the effect I'm drawing attention to this morning, began with the Industrial Revolution, which uh, uh, began at the end of the 1700s and basically existed through the 18, all the way through the 1800s up until the early 1900s, and in actuality continued through the 19th, uh, 1900s, the 20th century as well. <clears throat> and that's the introduction of uh, machine production and, of course, factories and and, and, and um, and, and the shift that uh, happened pretty suddenly, historically, was uh, no longer did um, you know, an individual grow up in a community and work in the trade that his father and his family worked at with his grandparents and his uncles uh, relating to another family that worked in a different trade whose, whose fathers and grandparents uh, worked in that trade. And there had been a relationship developed of codependency, the codependency is a bad word, interdependency <laughs> uh, between families because of their trade. And you learned how to function within a culture that had a um, family relationship tied with commerce, tied with uh, uh, community. All of a sudden that, got sh that, that just got really rapidly changed to where I don't work with my dad or my family. I go to a big building, and, I, and I'm thrust into a middle of thousands, put up the next picture, <clears throat> of just uh, people that are just walking into big buildings working with other people. And actually, it's man became part of the machine. 
right? And what that did, the effect of it was it 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 removed and and, and it removed the individual out of its of the moved the nuclear family out of the context of the extended family, all right? Uh, especially, and it continued through the the 20th century with the First and Second World War. And by the end of the Second World War, most most women were um, uh, uh, in the workforce as well. And uh, and so it was not the exception, but became the norm that that uh, women were in the workplace. Everyone was going to different factories, and there's a lot of benefit to this. All right, we have cars, and transportation, we have airplanes, and sort of nice building with essentially eating and air conditioning and lights. You know, so there's been benefits. I'm not saying it's all evil or that we have to go back to those things, but I'm saying the effect that it's had on culture is that it's it's completely changed how humans relate to other humans. And it's not in the context of family. Family has actually been completely gutted in one sense from uh, societal interactions because you're, you're relating to other people that you don't even know their family context. You know, most... Uh, for most of history and, and many cultures, uh, and especially in our own culture, <coughs> people didn't disobey rules in their town because everybody in the town knew you. And they knew your parents. You know, if you walk down the street uh, with your pants around your knees, your uncle would grab you by the back of your neck and take you out behind the building and knock the sense of into you, right? Or if you stole something from a neighbor, <coughs> the neighbor would take you and take you home to dad. And there would be accountability, <laughs> all right? And it would be worked out because they knew who it is. But in our culture, the people that walk down my street, I don't know who they are. We have no, no reference point. You know, at the beginning of the uh, uh, of the uh, of, uh, 20th century, 1900, 90% of people worked on farms, and there were smaller farms where they knew each other. They they worked together and they harvested. And it was there. My my wife's grandmother, uh, she she lived this cycle. When she was a kid, nobody had automobiles. She remembers the first flying machine she saw. Her grandfather and her uncles fought in the Civil War. We've heard stories that she heard from them about the Civil War. So one generation removed stories of the Civil War. She, she tells the stories over and over and over again. <laughs> We've heard them about 5,000 times. <laughs> uh, she's still alive. She's 101. Um, <clears throat> but she just she can't understand. She's like, I don't understand. Where are all the farms? Why don't people work on farms anymore? I just She can't understand that she can't go to a farm and buy you know, farm goods that you all go to the grocery store and because it just never worked that way in her life. She just can't comprehend. You know, there are farms, but they're big industries, right? And so this shift has happened within one lifetime. And it's so sudden it's undermined the way that we relate to one another because we don't grow up in a community that's built on family. Um, <clears throat> so the Industrial Revolution succeeded in removing the nuclear family away from the extended family. So, but, but the nuclear family survived through the 50s and 60s. Uh, and, and there was a focus on nuclear family. The nuclear family was mom and dad and the kids. 
And so the American dream was mom and dad and the kids living in the suburb, and that's a happy life. No longer was it mom and dad and the kids with grandparents on the same farm and aunts and uncles, the next house over, and everybody in your walking distance you knew because you were related to them or you knew their family. Now it's like suburbs, little household. Okay, that's still good. But even that has been deteriorated to where the nuclear family is no longer, it no longer exists in our culture. Um, um, I don't know what the next slide is. What do I have? <coughs> next slide. Oh, yeah. Um, <coughs> this is an article uh, from uh, the New York Times. I thought it was the pictures. Let's go to the pictures. You know, before the 1990s, uh, or uh, go to the pictures of the, of the TV shows. There you go. Um, before, uh, in the in the 90s, um, you know, the the early uh, sitcoms were all family based. You know, you have the Cosby Show with with it all had to do with the relationship or the Waltons. Hey, eh? I didn't think of that one. You know, that's a perfect picture. That's someone in the extended family. They had the extended family, but then you go to like Cosby, it's just their family or family ties. And almost all the popular sitcoms had to do with a family relationship. But once the Gen Xers, who were hurt by family, who were the sons and daughters of, of, uh, of boomers that uh, went out to make all the money and got caught up in the pursuit of happiness and, and lost happiness, they grew up, they didn't want to have anything to do with family. And the most popular shows during the next decade were Friends and Seinfeld. They just explode in popularity. Why? Because it tapped into the, um, uh, the feelings and the identity of that generation. I love the, the one of the Friends, and they're having a family portrait. The family portrait is their group of friends because you know what? They don't want to have the family around. Seinfeld's a group of friends. No family. Let's just get rid of family. You know why? Because family hurts. Yeah, what's that? Oh, I don't know. I've never even watched either one of these shows. I'm not saying anything bad about the shows. <coughs> it just reflects the identity of community is that they, it's centered around family, uh, centered around friends and not family. Because even the, the nuclear family, the effect of the nuclear family has been uh, uh, deteriorated. Let me just read from the New York Times. Um, um, the sexual revolution and, and the acceptance and, and, and the, prevail, uh, per, uh, the amount of divorce in our culture has torn apart nuclear family. New York Times, an article just a few weeks ago, said it used to be called illegitimacy. Now it's the new normal. After steadily rising for five decades, the share of children born to unmarried women, um, two-thirds of all births um, uh, are to women under 30, and the, the majority of those has crossed the threshold. More than half of the births to American women under 30 occur outside of marriage. Half of the births of women under 30 occur outside of marriage, and most children are born, two-thirds of all children are born to that, in that age group. All right, so that means that a vast majority of children being born are born in a household that doesn't have a father. All right. Now, many of us here are from those kind of households, or you know, you're children of it, or you're a single mom, or a, or a single dad. 
And, and I, I'm not speaking that. I'm saying let's look at the influence it has to the culture. The New York Times itself says this, the shift is affecting children's lives. Researchers have consistently found that children born outside of marriage face elevated risk of falling into poverty, uh, failing in school, suffering emotional and behavioral problems. They're far more at risk for uh, physical abuse and sexual abuse. The, the, the rates just skyrocket the further uh, a, a family is from the traditional uh, uh, husband and wife that's married. The further that varies, the higher the incident of, of failure in the sen- uh, for these children. Nobody argues that. Um, different people argue the reasons. The forces, this is from the paper, the forces rearranging the family are as diverse as globalization and the pill. Liberal analysts argue that shrinking paychecks have thinned the ranks of marriageable men, while conservatives often say that sexual revolution reduced the incentive to wed and that safety net programs discouraged marriage. You know, and I'm not saying, you know, the truth is that all of those reasons are true, but it's also the way that the world works now, that you go away and you work in a factory and you're, you're constantly interacting. It's, it's destroyed the... the the, the 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 fabric of our society and what people for generations upon generations uh, um, had to fall back on was 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 their family and <clears throat> and it's it's actually happening what what we experienced what the Western uh, civilization experienced in the uh, 18 and 1900s is actually happening in India and China now because they're now building all the factories and they're they're, they're all the people are leaving the villages and going to work in the factories. So they're seeing the same effects that we saw uh, a couple of generations ago. And so it's affecting those worlds. <coughs> Growing up in a family has a lot of benefits. When, you're, when you grow up in a family, especially an extended family, you learn how to relate to other people in a healthy way. All right? Because there's odd Uncle Harvey. Right? You know, and everybody knows Harvey's odd, but he's part of the family, and he's there every. And you gotta, you gotta learn how to love him, even though you don't like him, right? You know, or there's there's disobedient, you know, Tommy, who's just, just a snotty kid, and and you gotta play with him, you know, and you just can't get out of it, and and, and you see the interactions. You grow up with uh, with grandparents. And uncles, and there's even if they're bad examples, you at least learn. Oh, I don't want to be like that. But often there, there's good parts too is that you can learn to emulate uh, these aspects. And in the context of family, you learn how to live in community. You learn how to share stuff with your siblings and with other extended family when they come over to visit, and how how life is sharing and shared responsibility. But also when there's a problem, there's uh, uh, people to help and because we don't have that now there's a need for laws and the government to come in to help because there's no one else you can't rely on the family to knock somebody up alongside back head for doing something stupid now that's even illegal so if they do something stupid you have to have them arrested and then they end up in jail does that help nope Makes them twice as bad when they come out. Right? So a lot of the things that will work out, the social dynamics that will work out in the context of family have been, have been replaced. <clears throat> so in the midst of this cultural shift, 
um, uh, that's, that's happened. And younger people now don't even want to get married because they saw what happened to their parents. And even if they have children, as in this article, it quotes a young woman who said, man, I can't even imagine. I wouldn't marry the husband of my child even if I did love him. Because I, don't wanna, I saw what it did to my mom. And I don't want to end up like that. And so there's a generation that not only chooses to not marry, but is afraid of it because they saw the damage and the hurt that it caused. Well, what does this, how does this affect our culture? We live in a world where there's been an earthquake, a tsunami. And, and, and so society is buried under the rubble of this. And, and the effect is a breakdown of society. We are insulated from the, uh, the, the, most of the pain of it because of our prosperity. I can live individual. I can live in my portage suburb, and I really don't need to know any of my neighbors because I can get everything with a phone call or I can drive business. I, I'm not reliant on anyone you know, until something happens that's out of my ability to control, like it's cancer or, you know, you know, or, or you lost your job and there's, there's, now you're going to lose your house. There's certain things that rock your boat so bad. Where the family used to be there, now there's nothing. Right? <clears throat> when we went to Japan after the tsunami, it's a perfect illustration where the ocean just came in to uh, villages that were there for hundreds and hundreds of years, and then the ocean went out and they were gone. Everything was gone. And on the fringes were houses that were filled with mud. Right? They didn't get totally destroyed. The first floor was filled with mud. And so we went there, and there's still people doing it today. Uh, they're still working. They're going door to door. The only people that are doing it are Christian missionaries uh, going door to door saying we're here to help because these people are living in their upstairs that was still intact. The downstairs was completely ruined where the water damaged all the, the, the wood, and it's filled with mud. And the first thing they have to do is dig out the mud. The only way they can dig out the mud is by hand. So we took a team there, and we did it just, just for, we were only, the whole thing was only three days, but there had been people working there ever since the tsunami. They clean out the mud, and they tear out all of the damaged woodwork, and then they rebuild the floor, and they rebuild the wall. And it's actually better than before because they're building it to American standards, which includes insulation and all kinds of, it's better building quality that wasn't required in, in, in that culture. So these houses are actually going to be warm. Where that tsunami happened is the same, similar climate as Michigan. They don't get quite as much snow, but almost. And so the idea is that as representatives of the kingdom of God, we are like the rescue teams that come in after a tsunami. And we are called to rebuild the culture, rebuild community. And it's very similar to first century Christianity. Okay, do you know that in Roman civilization, homosexuality was not only accepted, no one would even question whether it was immoral because it was so accepted. All right? Uh, um, and, 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 and prostitution was actually a religious act. And so in almost uh, most Roman cities, and the most famous one is Corinth, that had 10,000 uh, uh, prostitutes at the temple. And so as an act of worship, you would go pay money and have sex. As an act of worship. They didn't have birth control back then. Guess what? There were thousands and thousands of children born to these uh, prostitutes. And prostitution in general was just accepted. And so the streets were filled 
And, and the society had been, had been broken down in a very similar way. And it was in that culture where the identity of family uh, had been totally destroyed that the church came in and said there's a better way. And it wasn't through legislation, although I'm in favor of, uh, of, of laws that prevent immorality, but it wasn't through legislation that they changed the society. It was by being a community in the midst of the devastation. It was by living in community in the midst of a civilization, a society that didn't know what community was anymore. Living free from the effects of the, of the destructive influences of all the vices of drugs and, and sexual immorality and, and indulgence of, uh, of, of possessions. That was first, second century Roman civilization. The church came in and said, there's a better way you can live as a family. And we're called to represent, we are citizens of heaven. In, in Philippians 3.20 says, Our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So in the midst of this uh, society that's been broken down through, through the removal of natural family, we can come and say, there's a better way. You know, when, when first century Christians, first and second century Christians, especially if they were Jews, accepted Christianity, they were completely renounced by their natural family. They, were, they, they would lose their job. They would lose all possessions. They couldn't even go back to Grandma's house for, for, for Hanukkah, right? They lost everything. <clears throat> and so they gathered together as a family. And it was in the context of being an extended family that Christianity exploded to the point where it says after a few decades that they changed the whole they changed the world upside down all right because they went into communities that didn't know how to live in, as a family and they lived as a family why do we call one another Christians brothers and sisters do you think it's just because it's written that way in the bible why did they call them that way because they were the brothers and sisters. They were the grandpas and uncles to one another because they were cut off from their natural family. So we have all these families that are cut off, living isolated lives, and we have the, uh, we are accountable before God. And we are accountable to our community. We are accountable to this world to represent kingdom culture to them to come in and to live as a citizen of heaven in this earth and offer a different form of culture based on the kingdom of God, based on the fact that we have a father that doesn't let us down, that we have a brother that, that, that defended us and died in our place, that we then pattern our lives after him, representing the love that was uh, given to us to one another. And then in, and in calling them into that community. And it's through building community and representing community in and amongst ourselves and unto the world that we can turn the tide of this civilization. You know what? My, my life is co committed to changing the world. I don't want to just build a little church. We need to be world changers. You know? And we can have a little teeny tiny bit of influence when we go to the ballot box. But your influence and the thoughts that you think and the words that you speak and the actions that you do, 
that has a huge influence amongst those that are close to you. Huge. People's lives. My life was changed because this Hispanic man who could hardly speak English took the time to pray for me. And then, at a break at a factory, said, if you were to die today, would you go to... Where would you go? Bull. Where would you go? Bull. I'm like, what? <laughs> and then he had me live in his house for that summer. We went to prayer meeting in church. And my life was transformed. Why? Because I saw something in him that I didn't see in my mom and dad who were divorced. I didn't see in any of my aunts and uncles because their whole family's all broken up. Right? Well, you have that opportunity. And that's what we're called to. That's what we are accountable to live that way in our day. Right? Not because it's the law, but because we represent uh, heaven on earth. We represent our relationship with the Father and our relationship with one another becomes an extended family that we can then invite others into. And yeah, you know what? There's odd Uncle Harvey. You know, and yep, those kids that are always a little disobedient, but we love them all. Yeah, some people have problems. This is how we deal with the problems. Right? This is there is an answer. There's a healthy way to reform behavior within love. Right? I'm not saying that we, we we all run away from government and hide into a commune. We learn how to practice kingdom values in this day in our community, and that brings about change. So I hope these ideas will influence you in your vote, yes, but also in your interactions with uh, those that you have influenced. Julie has some announcements. Thank you, Pastor.